Oh, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. All right, can we quickly take our declaration, and then we'll start to study again today. We'll be having a series on the, the prophetic word for this season. So let's take our declaration together as we usually do. One, two, let's go. The Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, and pleasing Him in all respects, I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His Word. The Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 I said amen. amen. Today, God will speak to you your own prophetic word. Amen. A specific word to move you from the point of stagnation will come in the name of Jesus. Amen. A specific word of correction. Amen. A specific word of correction. Amen. There are things that we are doing we don't know is wrong. But you don't know is wrong does not mean it does not have the just recompense of reward for disobedience. You need to be corrected so that that thing can be removed. That specific word for your individual correction will come today in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus spoke to the church, that is the seven churches in Revelation. And he said, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. What he was saying is that each Christian is supposed to pay attention to what the Spirit is saying to all the churches. That is, don't just assume it's a message to the church in Laodicea. Don't just assume it's a message to the church only the one in Sardis, or the one in Smyrna, or the one in Thyatira, or the one in Philadelphia, and places like that, Ephesus. No, bear it in mind that even though it's addressing the church in Ephesus, that message is also to every individual Christian in every church and in every generation. It's very important. So that's why I pray for you again today, that your own specific word you will hear in the midst of the word to everybody. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Right, let's take our seats. The Lord is good. All right, we are going to continue looking at that, the prophetic word for this season. Um, I'll just, it's easy for me today, I'll just continue from where I wanted to speak last time, and the Holy Spirit made me say something before that. So I'm going to continue from there today, hopefully. And if the Holy Spirit brings another word to and beyond that, we are going to share that. Now, I'm going to start by looking at the book of, um, let's start by reading from the book of First Timothy chapter 6, or no, Colossians chapter 2. I think I'll start with that one, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Now, what I want to explain today, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to bear this in mind. Sometimes we Christians, of course, as a matter of fact, I want you to understand something. It is so, it is very difficult to, uh, for everybody to agree on the same things. We know it is difficult. But I want to explain something that even though you find the Bible, Paul writing to us and encouraging us to get along with one another despite our differences, Paul also at the same time, okay, Expected each person to increase in knowledge. 
so that the time will come, we will all come to the unity of the faith. Paul encourages everybody to um, increase in his or her faith. You'll see something that Paul says here, and maybe we'll just use this as an example, because sometimes we, can, we get stuck on why are you um, criticizing other people or condemning somebody, and really you should not. You should not, okay? But sometimes we get stuck on the idea of why are you condemning? Why are you just um, criticizing when the Bible says you should not? So we settled on that. Don't condemn this person. Don't, um, don't criticize somebody else. We settle so much on that. We don't realize that there's something else the Bible expects. The Bible expects that each person should increase in faith so that we will all come to the unity of the faith. The Bible expects that. I hope you're getting my point. He expects that. So it's not just that we'll just say, okay, um, to hit one man, like Paul says, does not regard any day as anything. And that man regards days. He said, let's all of us just do as we, you know, we are convinced about. So we now get this impression that whatever you are convinced about sits there. No. I may not have the right to criticize you and think lower of you than myself. You may not have the right to criticize me or think lower of me than yourself, but does not mean that just because we have agreed to disagree, we should just remain in our disagreement permanently and pretend like it is all there is to Christianity. It is not so. You see what Paul says here. Let me just um, let me read what he said in that book of Romans when he was talking about somebody talking about meat, another person talking about um, um, sorry, this um, digital devices. They have a mind of their own sometimes. Romans chapter fourteen. I want to just bring out something here. There's a particular word I'm looking for. Please so give me a second to just get to it. Okay, verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. That is, his aim is to serve God. That's what I was trying to say. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat. That is, what he's doing is doing it as a service in his quest to be pleasing to God. That's why he does some of those things. He now says, uh, which verse am I in, please? I just skipped in. Yeah. All right, so he said, for, so, so does, so, does so for, for the Lord, he, for he gives thanks to the Lord, and he would eat not, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to the Lord. For one, for not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Now, 
um, sorry, I want to jump down again. He said, therefore, let us not judge, verse 13, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Can you see what Paul is doing here? You, I will explain in a moment. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hot, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop reading here because um, of uh, time. But I wanted to bring out a number of issues here. You see, when Paul started in this particular chapter, one thing he pointed to us is that we should accept what kind of person? Verse 1, look at your Bible. We should accept what kind of person? Huh? The what? The weak in faith. So Paul recognizes that the difference of opinion is often due to the weakness of one party in faith. So he's not saying that the one that is weak in faith should remain weak. He's saying those who have understanding should not weaken the fellow's faith further. I hope you're getting my point. Because if you tell him to do what he, should, what he thinks he should not do, Satan would use that as accusation against him. And that's why he said, whatever is not done from faith is sin. If the man thinks it is wrong, do you follow? Then, please, don't put him in jeopardy. Don't set an example for him to do what he cannot do or be doubting your faith. Do you follow my point? You understand? <laughs> for example, there is a way um, we wouldn't want a Christian to dress, not because it's wrong or right. Now, first, please, don't get me wrong. There are ways Christians should not dress. You should not dress like your head is not correct. <laughs> Do you get my point? Uh-huh. Some things are just inappropriate. A Christian woman should not wear an attire that makes you look like a harlot. You are addressed the way you appear. I hope you are getting my point. The way I know somebody on the road is a policeman is the uniform he's wearing. So if and harlots also have uniforms. Even though it's not an officially issued uniform, they, you see by the seductive way they dress. And the world has gone mad now. They've tried to mainstream, uh, make it a mainstream. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. They, wanted to, they want to mainstream what is the, the attire of harlots. So it's now, you know, catwalk thing, okay? So I'm not here trying to say that Christians can dress like they decrease and it does not matter. And I have, this one is not scripture, but it's based on my understanding of the scripture, what I'm about to say next. In that line also, you should not dress as if you've gone mad. You buy jeans and you tear it. Or they tear it for you before you buy it. I look at it, I say, is it every fashion you must copy? There was a time, thank God I stopped now. Men will be wearing trousers and they'll be sagging it. You know, you look at it, it's basically a sign of imprisonment. Do you follow my point? You have to know who you are admiring and who you want to be like. If you want to smoke Igbo, and smoke uh, um, cocaine, heroin, and your life will not be balanced, be following people whose lives are not balanced, and you know it by the appearance. So, please, that's just by the way, okay? Now, what I'm trying to say here, now let me now get back to the the main thing. Sometimes we have little differences. Some people just make up their minds that Christians must maybe tie a turban. I I hope you're getting my point. (laughs) This is not a matter of um, whether I tie of a harlot or not. They just have some strong things. Like some people say, a woman can never wear trousers suit. That is for a woman. That is, 
that the, no, the issue is that they said they talk about um, women's dressing, uh, men's they don't don't wear what a man is supposed to wear. Like I always tell people that, just make sure you don't wear what a man, you know, a man's clothes. Because if I tie a wrapper, it's my own. It's not my wife's own. I don't know. <laughs> I get my point because um, I married from Niger Delta, and when we were going to for the ceremony, all the men there tie. That's the formal ceremonial dress there. Okay. So maybe I will not tie my wife's own. I will tie my own. If that's what they call it. So let's separate that. But I'm going to say something here. So there's a way, generally we have this idea that maybe a woman shouldn't wear a pair of jeans. Some people have that idea. I don't think so, but some people have it. Okay, Whether it's decent or not, once it's trouser jeans, women shouldn't wear it. Some people have that idea. And now, I, ha- I grew up in a community that generally that is a common practice. So the first time my wife was going to come to my parents' place, I made it clear to her, you have to look Christian. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Now, I know she's a Christian. I met her because she's a Christian. But I just said simply that, don't, the first day my mother will say, don't let us argue whether the Bible agrees for this or the Bible does not agree. She has her thoughts and ideas of what nice Christian people look like. Just look like that for her sake. My father will be there that day. He was a very quiet person. He wouldn't quarrel, but don't give him a wrong impression. So she wore a very nice, conservative, long-flowing Ankara, you know, with gilly, everything. Uh-huh. Don't pretend and don't say that I don't use makeup at all. Wear your earring. You don't have a problem with that. Use your light makeup. You don't have a problem with that. But the first time they are seeing you, you should look like a decent person. That's the kind of thing Paul was trying to explain. Don't put, don't say because you went to campus and then Christians on campus, the, the, the women wear trousers, they wear this thing. My father didn't go to your campus. I hope you're getting my point. And he's going to see for the first time and he's going to create an impression of you that very first encounter. That's the kind of thing Paul was trying to explain. Paul emphasized that it's a weakness in faith. He's saying that we have better truths. He said it clearly. We know, he said we know this unclean thing is not the way we are saying it. However, because he was writing to people who come from the background of Judaism. They come, you want to eat, make sure that the food is kosher. You know, they call kosher foods. That is properly in accordance with mosaic rules so that they can fellowship with you easily. Then as they develop, which is my emphasis for today, as they develop in the faith, they will drop some things. Do you get my point? They will no longer you know, be concerned about them. But in the immediate um, periods, do not make them become um, offended. Don't weaken their faith. And then don't let them go and do what they, they are deep in their hearts they feel they should not do. Now, please, I've said a lot of things, okay? But the main thing I'm trying to say in all of this is this, which is my main thing, bear it in mind. Paul recognized that the difference is because some people have understanding and some do not yet have the understanding. Those who have it, they are correct. Those who don't have it yet, we are just going to give them time to develop. And if those who don't have it yet now decide that this is the way to heaven, we'll say, hey, bros, we're just tolerating that thing. I don't know whether you're getting my point. You know, that time that this tithing issue became a matter in the body of Christ strongly. You know, I, I'm one of the, one of the people, well, I'm such a person that if something is not a serious matter, I don't like it to make it a serious matter. But there are times people will not make it a serious matter. You start hearing things like, if you don't tithe, you can never prosper. If you don't tithe, you will die and go to hell. That one, one day I heard it, I said, Jesus is Lord. Where is this one coming from? I, I heard people say, that if a man is not a tither, he's a thief, he will steal from you. I say, hey, brethren. 
We are carrying something that is not a weighty matter of the law and making it one of the weightier matters of the law. So it now became a major controversy. And when I went to, on radio to speak about it then, what I tried to emphasize to people, let's drop it back to where it belongs. A minor issue. If your way of giving to the law starts with calculation, please do it with all your heart. If you don't believe in calculation, you are as good a Christian as the person who believes in calculation. But one thing most of, both of us must do is be very generous. It must not be because of our selfishness the church of God is lacking. It must never happen that because of our selfishness, the gospel is not being preached. It must never happen because we are not large-hearted. The poor around us, they are suffering. We are in the body of Christ, yet some are living so large and others are living so poorly. And, that we, and these things I've said, they apply to both parties. There are those after they have calculated their 10%, every other cover they give, they think they are doing God a favor. So sometimes they are not in the favor mood. So they see things fall, they will not move. And there are those who will say, no, it's not compulsory. Because it's not compulsory, you will never see their money. Both of them are going to the same hellfire. No, that's a joke, all right? They're not going to hell. I'm just trying to crack it. That whether, whether you are paid or you have not paid, if anybody is going to hell, both of you are going. If you have that kind of attitude, if you can shut, shut up the bios of your heart, your bios of compassion, because you think you have calculated 10% and you have paid it off, so you, have, you are free. You are not free. So both people, both parties must understand that you have not saved God until generosity has enwrapped you totally. You have become wrapped with the spirit of generosity from heaven. Now I'm going to say something here. So you see, sometimes we have those little differences. Paul is not saying that we should sit on the differences forever and we continue to be different. What he says is that it should be some, a way by which we accommodate each other. But like I said, my message for today is that we must strive for Accuracy. It is not right for right now, the body of Christ is getting to a very funny division, which happened, um, I'll put it at about 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. And it's those days when I was in university. It crept up towards my latter days in university. When some of these doctrines people began to preach now, we heard it that time. It became strong. Then over time, people realized that no, it doesn't work like this. It's creeping up again. People are pumping the gospel of grace as if they made a new discovery. We heard it before. We heard it before. And it's not new. In the days of Paul, it was preached also. That was why James had to write the book of James. Because every coin has two sides. Like somebody told me, a bird does not flap with one wing. It has to balance with the other side. So it can fly effectively. Please, I'm go- my message for today, my prophetic word for today is concerning the doctrine you hold on to. Bear this in mind. And I said we should open somewhere, right? Let us read it. So, please, I said all of this by trying to explain something. We, ca- we can define little things. But even in those little things, it's just so that we can get along while each person develops. When we get into the fullness of the faith, we will not differ on anything. We will not differ on anything. Because if we are differing on things, somebody's wrong. Somebody's wrong. It's possible both of us are wrong, but both of us cannot be right. If somebody says speaking in tongues is for everybody, another person says speaking in tongues is not for everybody, one person is wrong, one person is right. Or both of them are wrong. Maybe there's no speaking in tongues at all. I don't, I hope you're getting my point here. We can't just settle down. Husband and wife, listen to this. 
You cannot be in the same house and differ on anything. Doctrine-wise, you can't. In any one that you differ, sit down and pray. And study. And bring forth scriptures. Because you'll be hindering your prayer lives. You can't be in a house. The husband believes in being filled with the spirit. And the wife does not. And two of you want to pray. It's, it's going to cause confusion. So before you start believing God for money, believe God for accuracy of doctrine in both hearts. Pray like that. God, that our doctrines might be accurate in our hearts. So that way, both of us will come into unity. But I'm not married to you, maybe. So, we can differ on small, small things. But on major things, we can't differ. For example, the one that's going on, can a Christian lose his salvation or not, is a major thing. Christians can't differ on that. We should go and study until we come to into agreement. It's major. Should I put my tithe in the church or give to the motherless baby's home? It's minor. You know why? You can calculate 10% 10 times. So if you say it's motherless baby's home, go and put it there. Put it, bring the one for church, the, the one for, just scatter it everywhere. But a lot of things, alright, in this body of Christ, they are major. And I want to say something to you. Even though Paul says something here, and he said, somebody's weak in faith, accept such a one. If there's a blessing in that truth, that such a one will not get it to. Did you hear what I said? If there's a blessing in a particular truth, if you don't grab it, you won't get it. That if you don't grab the truth, you will not get the blessing. If you don't, see, people think sometimes that, listen, you believe the way you like, I believe the way I like. If the way you like is good, I will suffer if I don't believe with you. If the way I like is correct, you will suffer if you don't agree with me. So please, I want us to just understand something. We can't just relax permanently in this let us agree to disagree. We can agree to disagree early. That is the early phases. Then each person must start striving to learn more. And make the scriptures the standard, not human experience, not the man of God's words. Very important. Because what happens is that one reason you see as we go on today, in fact, let me quickly drop so I don't forget. If you're a preacher, one reason, there are a number of reasons why your doctrine will not be accurate. Let me give you a number of reasons. Now, let me put it like this. The Holy Spirit wants to tell you something, but you'll not be able to hear it. One major reason the doctrine of preachers are not accurate is the effect it will have on their, please pardon me to use a simple word, on their arrangement. What do I mean? If you have calculated that the average income in your church, you understand, is, okay, the total income in your church, or your workers, your church people, is about 20 million naira as an, for a particular period of time, and in your mind you have projected that therefore, if everybody gives 10%, we have a minimum of 2 million to handle our expenses. Then if we now double that in offerings, we'll have between 3 and 4 million naira. If you fix that in your mind, and somebody now, starts, now comes and he wants to upset that equilibrium, your flesh will react. Now listen to me. We are humans. It's mindful. The Bible says that we are both flesh. The human body will react. You are not reacting against the truth. You are reacting against the consequences of the truth. I don't know whether you are getting my point. 
That's why majority of people's doctrines are not accurate. They don't like the consequences on them. If you come and talk about marriage and divorce as an example, and a man put away his wife eight years ago and married another one, listen, the Holy Spirit has to be strong on his case for him to hear the truth of God about divorce. Listen to me. Don't One thing God has helped me with, I'm not saying I'm perfect in it yet. I'm trying. Sometimes when I'm praying, I, I just open my, I, I say straight to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to agree because of this. <laughs> you understand? I just lay everything there before him. I try my best. I'm not saying I'm perfect all the time. But I see everything because I've noticed any time I say it in prayer, God will always solve it. When I say solve it now, he will make me believe the truth even though it's against my personal experience. Sometimes you'll be surprised if I say this. It's not hypocrisy. There are things that I have preached, I have not yet practiced. That I finish preaching it, then I go home to go and pray for God to give me the strength to. And as I was about to preach it, I was trying, I was saying to myself, Pastor Banky, this one you are saying, you're not doing it here too. Then I will answer myself, but you are a preacher. You are a messenger. I don't know whether you are getting my point. You must deliver the message. As you are delivering the message to other people, so are you hearing it yourself? Do you get my point? There are times I'll tell my wife, listen, what I'm about to tell you is a bad thing. I'm doing it and I know it's bad. I just want to tell somebody, so maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm angry about something. I say, I know I'm not supposed to be angry. And I've been angry about this matter for four days now. And let me be honest with you, I'm not about to cool down. So I just want to tell you so that you know that this is a problem <laughs> I'm struggling with. Maybe somebody offended you, I say forgive. I say forgive who? Forgive with it. Do you know how hard it is to forgive this individual? So I will stand here and preach to you Forgive. Then I'll go and tell my wife, you know I preach forgive today. It's not like a joke, but I do it. I just say, I just, I say, listen, I know what I'm, I, I say, I, you can ask my wife, tell her, I will just tell her, listen, I know how I'm feeling is wrong. I know this, my feeling is wrong. And please don't tell me it is wrong, because I knew it was wrong, that's what I'm telling you. Don't make me feel worse than I'm already feeling right now. <laughs> listen, you don't preach doctrines based on how it benefits you. That's the point I'm making. You don't preach doctrines based on your own personal experience. Your experience can help explain a doctrine if it is in agreement. If it is not in agreement, it's a bad experience. Don't use it for us. One reason people's doctrines are not accurate, what I'm telling you. Like in the area of money. It's seriously... One day I wrote, a, I wrote something. I wrote a book, um, Grace to Prosper. And I need to analyze a lot of things. And, I, and of course, all of you know me. That I don't believe this titan thing. The way, the way we preach it is compulsory. I never believed it. Now, not out of prayer. I'm being stubborn. I studied it for years. It took me more than three, four, five years of study. And I continued for years trying to learn what the other people are saying. And the more I read the scriptures, the more I couldn't agree with them. Please, I'm not discussing that now, okay? But, of course, like I said, I always treated it as... One of those things that are not so weighty. Okay, so one man read my book. He read one of those books. And, and apart from that, of course, no this thing I always pre- also preach, which is true. In fact, something led to it. We began to discuss John Bevere. Um, was it yesterday or this morning amongst my brethren? And I realized that he, so, there's something I've been preaching for a long time. Many of you have heard me preach it. He also preaches it also. That people who don't do things, except they know what is in it for them. And pastors keep on encouraging church people. Do this so you can get this. So Christians don't fear God. They don't love the Lord. They just do things for what they are going to get. I saw him 
tell people clearly that it is out of order, it is wrong. You understand? So, I also say things like that, you know. That please, you, can't, you don't give to God because of what you're going to get. You, you cannot sow a seed. I know it's preached, alright? So, but I've gone beyond the issue of not trying to offend people now. I'll just tell the truth. You cannot put money down and say this is a seed that God will multiply to supply my needs. Those are not scriptural doctrines. Okay? You cannot say I want to give 1,000 naira that God might multiply it. Stop it. It's not scripture. You cannot say, okay, I'm going to sow a seed of 10,000 so I can have a 10-hour miracle. Those things are just, you know, we learn some habits and we continue some habits and don't realize they are bad habits. And let me quickly drop this. I'm one of the things I'm saying prophetically today. Those things obscure the face of Jesus. They obscure the mercy of God in the lives of the people. And the people start having false confidence and God says it must stop. He doesn't want it anymore. He has tolerated it for a long time. Please, go and study your scriptures and stop preaching doctrines that are not based on scripture. They're not based upon the grace that we have before God, especially in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now, so I wrote all of those things down. And one man said something, all right? He said he found it hard to agree. And I felt like saying to him that, agree with what? This is, I've said that in my book, Grace to Prosper. All right? So he read the book and he was, he found it hard to agree. I didn't know him, all right? He just sent a message. Then after a while, I wrote the book, um, So Who We Pay For This. Now in the book, So Who We Pay For This, I explained the responsibility of Christians. So Who We Pay For This was just, the whole book is to let Christians know that you don't, they don't have to beg you to spend money on the work of the gospel. The gospel must be preached. And the richest man in Nigeria right now, and indeed the whole of Africa, and the richest black man in the world, happens to be a Muslim. So we are not going to go to him. It will be an insult on our gospel to go to him to beg for money to preach the gospel. I just use that as an example. Nothing personal against um, uh, the richest man in Africa. I'm just trying to explain a principle here. That it is the people of God that will put their money in the preaching of his gospel. And I spoke at length. I haven't talked about how, you know, can I again say something that Americans used to say, that is, they, they yap themselves, that they say, God, keep our pastor humble, we keep him poor. <laughs> now that's how the American Christians <laughs> will behave. That keep our pastor humble, we will keep him poor. I went and explained that, that it is wrong for Christians to be trying to keep their pastor poor. The other day I was discussing with um, one of my uh, friends, and he said somebody sent him money to help ministers. I said, if he knows ministers that are struggling, he should help them. I asked him, I said, must they struggle? Can you see our mindset? So it's when they want to die, you will help them. If they are not struggling, they don't honor their office. Honor has nothing to do whether you are lacking or you're abundant. Honor is honor. So he said, someone says, okay, please use this money to help people who are, if you know ministers who are struggling, I said, eh, you're always waiting for them to struggle. And I said, ah, you say you're a minister. There are people who have said that before. You're a minister? Look at your face. What is wrong with my face? Your face is so fresh. So what did you expect? Because I'm a minister, I should be looking, God bless you. They will now dash me an offering of 2,000 and I should be grateful. Why? Because I'm a hungry man. One of the things God taught me early in life is that I, will not, I don't ask anybody for anything. I, I, and any time I stylishly seem to even present a need to you, I go home and repent to God. So we ask, I'm so sorry. I'm, I, 
And the one I'm, things I'm thinking about right now, I didn't ask anybody, but I just stylishly presented the need. But like, look at what we are doing. Oh. I will even go home and say, Lord, I am sorry. That thing I said, it, deep inside my heart, I wanted the person to hear it. And these are things I've hardly done. Oh. If you count it all my life in ministry, maybe I've done it only three, four times. So people are waiting, you understand? So anyway, make a long story short. I wrote in the book also. I said, these are not right things. Basically, the whole book was written to bring out two points. One, that Christians must support the gospel. And two, they must support the preachers of that gospel. And they should do it from the bottom of their hearts. The same person now says something. Now, this is where I'm going. He said, hey, this book here agrees with me. <laughs> Did you follow what I said? The first time it was like, what? Uh, I found it hard to accept. You're saying that is not compulsory. People don't have to sow a seed. I didn't know the individual, so I told my wife, I said, consider these two um, opinions on two different books. I said, what, what does that tell you? The man is a preacher. Did you hear what I said? Yes, sir. I don't know whether you understood it. I didn't know the person, but I said, I can bet my money on this. This individual is what? A preacher. This individual is a pastor. The first time I wrote... It appeared as if I was undermining the offerings, even though I was speaking the truth. Second time I wrote, I was encouraging people to give. He said, I agree with this one. The other one was hard. He's hard. One major reason why we can't preach the truth is because it undermines our own security. Our security based on fleshly arrangements. That's why, oh, I don't know why I'm sitting on it. It's just an interesting one. That's why most pastors will find a very interesting way to defend something that is not defendable by Scripture. That your, your tithe belongs compulsory to your church. I said, well, how did you say, where did you find that Bible? He says the storehouse. I said, the storehouse in the Bible is a charity house. If you read the storehouse in the Scriptures, it is a place from where we give to charity. And if you see the maintenance, the building of the temple in the Bible was by free will offering, even under the law. To maintain the, the church, in quote, in quote, the temple, to maintain, to build the temple, it was free. It was not one of those things that they commanded according to this proportion. No. Why do we do that? It's simple. It's income. But just by the way, if you're a pastor listening to this, don't be afraid. I'm a preacher like you too. I hope I run a ministry and we spend money. As of today, give me accurate figures. How many radio stations are we on? 21 or 22? 22. Not one is free. Not one is free. Not one is free. Not one. We spend money on every single one of them. Yet I preach the way I do. What does that tell you? The truth is the truth. And God is faithful. Let me give you a testimony. You've not seen true generosity until you have seen liberated Christians who have been taught the word of God. That is where you find true generosity. That's where you find true generosity. I want us to understand that. That is where true generosity is found. I'm just dropping that as an aside. One reason why we don't preach the truth, please, you know, remember I said, I'm giving a prophetic word, and I said at the beginning, it's mostly, it's for everybody, but it's especially for the leaders in the church. One reason we don't preach the truth it's because the truth hurts. Once, my wife had a dealing with a woman who is a minister. She and her husband run a 
the pastor a big church. They are not the main, they are not the general overseers, you know, but it's a major branch, you know, a big branch of a very big denomination. So, in the process of their dealing, the woman found out that my wife, that, that my wife is a pastor's wife too. So, that, you, are, you are a minister's wife. Oh, let's, so they started talking. So, they started sharing intimate things. Sec- no, can I use the word? Secret things, things that belong in, in the inner caucus. I was asking my wife's opinion. How do you people handle this? How does your husband handle this? Along the line, now this is why I'm telling you the story. One of the things she said was that there are times women come to the church to come out to the pastor to come and report their husbands that my husband is committing adultery. My husband has a girlfriend. He's a Christian. He's a deacon. Yet, a deacon. Yet, he has a concubine somewhere. So, she wanted my wife to explain how will your, you and your husband handle such a thing. So, my wife just said to her simply like, ah. She was a bit confounded like, is that supposed to be a question like, you call the person now, investigate whether it is true, and if it is necessary, you sanction a deacon. Haba. So the woman said, no, ah, these are the pillars of the church. <laughs> now, now, that's why I'm telling the story. The how can you just confront a pillar? <laughs> you all remove the pillar because it committed smoke. <laughs> the one the church is standing on. Madam, stop you and your husband. Stop this nonsense. Oh. Exactly, something. Don't you know the whole structure we collapse? Go and ask something. When he removed pillars in the temple of Dagon, everybody went down. That day my wife got home. She was confused. Like, okay, what am I supposed to tell this woman? The woman wanted to know that how do you tell the truth without offending a deacon who is a pillar? Let me tell you something. Prophetic word. Remember I've been telling you about prophetic word? Yes, sir. I'll quote a, a, a preacher on this one. Whatever you compromise to gain, you will eventually lose. I'm quoting somebody. But this is what God is saying prophetically. The thing you feared will come to you. If you don't remove that pillar, if you remove that pillar, maybe the building will collapse. Maybe it will not. I don't address that now. The Spirit is saying. I don't address that now. But at least you will be saved. And peradventure, you will save the sinner. I hope you're getting my point here. The only hope the sinner has is that you tell him or her the truth and then maybe he will be saved. Scenario number one. Now, if you don't do that, this is the word of the Lord. I, the Lord, will remove the pillar. And the building will collapse on your head. As by collapsing, it will collapse. Now, you understand that collapsing is figurative? The building is figurative. If you say, this person gives so much money to the ministry so I can't tell him the truth, God says, you will prosper for a while. Then I will remove the money from both him and you and remove the establishment from you also. So at the end of the day, there will be no money, there will be no him, there will be no you. I told the story, those of you know the story of what my friend the minister said. A man came to his church and the man single-handedly 
gave half of all the income the church had. Let us assume, just to make it easy, the church got total offerings in a month to solve all their problems. Let's just as an example, one million naira. This man alone guaranteed gave at least 500,000 of that one million. He said, but the more the man gave, the more unsettled it became after a while. He said, for the first time, we're able to plan in the ministry. We, got, we knew that this money will come. So we'll pay staff this amount. We'll do this with this amount. We're, we're able to plan. He said, but anytime we finish planning, the man finishes giving, I become unsettled. So he took the matter to the Lord in prayer. Listen to me. These are people who are not afraid. No human being is your support. Woe to the one who's trusting a human being as a support. So he confronted the man one day after church. He said, please, can we see? I said, please, sir, I have a problem here. You've been a good person to us, to this ministry, and to me personally. There's only one problem. Anytime you give, I'm, I'm uneasy. And the man says something, which is why I'm talking about it. He said, Pastor, God bless you. I have been looking for a pastor who will confront me. Nobody has. I have gone from one church to another, hoping somebody will call me to order. Let me make a long story short. He said, it's stolen money. This money, we steal it. It's government money. We have our way of stealing it. I don't know what to do. I want to stop. I need help. So his pastor said to him, very good. Of course, you have to stop. We will pray about it. The man gave me the number of details which we cannot give now. All right? But basically, stopping is not just a moral issue for him. It wasn't. It was even a danger issue. He was not in the business alone. So it became a matter of prayer and deliverance. Can I use that expression? But his pastor insisted, you have to stop. And eventually, of course, he stopped and God delivered him. And you know what happened? God now multiplied the income of the church tenfold. Lie. The income of the, <laughs> that's what, that's the, that's the testimony we're waiting for. Nothing like that. The income of the church went back to the day, the way it was before the man came. But the man had done the will of God. What we are trying to do in life is the will of God. Those of you who are not pastors, you may say, what are you preaching? Please, just bear with me. Let me preach to those who need it. Because many pastors are in bondage. I've seen pastors who cannot preach the truth. They don't want to offend human beings in the church. And they start lying. A pastor called one person in his church and said, please pray for me. He said, well, what's your prayer for? What's the prayer for? He said, because I feel God isn't going to kill me. Injure me in a dangerous manner. Why? He said, because I'm not obeying him anymore. I'm not obeying our general overseer. And that is why we don't preach accurate doctrines. I've talked about the fear of losing the established structure that they have. He said there was a particular day, this pastor was speaking. He said there was a particular day, I knew I heard from heaven. I prayed. I studied. And I had a word from heaven and I brought it to church. I was bringing it to church. Then at night, I was told to remit a particular amount by next Sunday, by that, the following day, Sunday, to headquarters. So he came to church. He was confessing his own sins. I came to church. I had to change the message to one that could raise money. The one that the Holy Spirit gave me, I told the Holy Spirit, since you will not bring money, hold your message first. Now, I'm adding words to that now. But make a long story short. He didn't preach that one. He preached the one that could raise an offering. That is why, let me tell you the truth, 
Now, if you are listening to this, what's today's date? We're in May 2020, right? Okay? Now, what is that date? 19th of May 2020. You may be listening to this 17th of July 2035 or 2087. I don't know. At that time, the situation of the church in your generation may be different. But let me tell you about today's church. When you get to a church and your pastors are saying things like, the Lord spoke to me and a special seed, nine times out of ten, he's lying. I told you I brought you a prophetic word. Don't, don't tell me to be nice. Because sometimes my wife will be like, why are you so wrong? Leave it like that. Nine times out of ten, he's lying. Like I said, please interpret it around this generation because things will change. Listen to me. They have to change. If they don't change, we'll all suffer. And you, pastor, that comes to tell lies, the Spirit says to you, stop. Stop lying. This is your word from knowledge. It has to come to an end. I've seen a man say, that, ah, man of God, this is your car. I was, ah, I can't drive this kind of car with the kind of church you have. Then he went to church next day and said, the Lord said to me that the people I want to bless are the ones that will buy the pastor a new car. Word from knowledge. He was lying. If you, listen, another reason why doctrines are not accurate is the fear to offend spiritual superiors. People, people have written many times, what if in our church they don't believe this? If it's a minor thing, I say you can overlook it. If you're in a church where some things are, you are a branch, you know, you are a branch pastor, you are a subordinate, and some things, you know, they are, we, we are, we can't, like I told you, until we all get into the fullness of that stature of Christ Jesus, we have slight differences. And like Paul said, we have to learn to accommodate ourselves in our slight differences. But there are times we get into major issues. Or you are a, a young pastor and they tell you to be preaching things you totally don't believe. Let me tell you the truth. You can't. These are not even the areas you can manage to just manage to be different. If they give you a script that has 10 points, point 6 and 7 makes no sense to you. Point 8 to you is totally against scripture. Please preach 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Jump 6, 7, 8. Go to 9 and 10 and preach from faith. Preach what you are convinced of. If you are a pastor, listen to this. You cannot fear man. You know what I like about men of God? Their name is what? Men. Let's stop it there. They just happen to be of God. You must fear the God of that man before you fear the man. A man told me once, he said he left the church. They called him. He was telling me the story. So he went to see the, the big man in charge. Let's say the bishop or general overseer. Okay? And the man said, why are you leaving us? And he said to the man clearly, I realize, sir, that I fear you more than I fear God. So I need to go and cultivate the fear of God. So that's when you have saved your life. Very honest. So I'm in a situation right now where I will do what you say, even if it contradicts what God is saying. So let me, let me spare myself. I fear you more than I fear God. And it, listen to me. If you're in that kind of situation, you're under a witchcraft influence. I hope you know I'm not joking. 
That is an, a witchcraft influence. If you know that you fear the man over your head more than you fear God, the, you, listen to me, let me quickly say something to you. You don't have, now what I want to say will sound scary, but I am not going to try and be nice. I have to give you the truth. You don't have a long time to end that relationship. You don't have a long time. You have to find a way to end it. Mark the words I'm about to speak. Otherwise, you will die. That's not a threat. I'm not saying you will die. I don't know you. Nothing personal. But I'm telling you what I have seen from scripture and from personal experience. If you're a young man, young woman, you're working, especially in the ministry, I'm talking mainly to pastors now. And the fear of the man above you is, you know, is more than the fear of God. If God says, don't do something, and the man says, do, you know you will do it. You have a short time to rectify that. You have a very short, you don't have a long time. I don't believe the law will give you more than 18 months. The consequences in your life can be dire. It can be dire. I'm telling you the truth. What is your problem? Is it poverty? He's the one that helped me when I was poor. He's the one that will kill you when you are rich. You know, there was something we, we read the other day. Jesus said something. You have to hate your father, your mother, your uncle, the man that helped you when you were poor. Even your own life, if you want to be my disciple. He's not saying you should go around hating people. He was saying anybody that will stand in obstruction, as an obstruction between you and the fear of God has to go. I want to say one more time. If every day you man the pulpit as a young pastor, you preach what you know is not true, what you are convinced God does not want you to say, and the reason why you are saying is because somebody has taught you submission to authority, and they said this is the authority over your head, remove the authority. That is, come out for the authority area. That's what I mean. Because you are putting your life in jeopardy. And in case you do not know, the authority will find a replacement for you after you've died. And what thing that is annoying to me, and God knows how unhappy I am about it, and he has refused to explain anything to me more than just take it like that, is why he does not kill the authority. It's almost like I just live as a temptation for the people who don't want to, they, <laughs> they don't want to choose. Eh? I tell the story all the time, it's in the Bible. God sent a young prophet to Jeroboam. And he told the young prophet, when you reach there, deliver my message. Prophesy against the prophets and the altars of Jeroboam. Then when you are done with prophesying against the altars, go the opposite direction from the one that you came. Don't eat there. Don't drink there. Don't do any of those things. What you just do is prophesy and move. Move in one direction. The other prophet came and said, Ah, yes, 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 what you have said is true. But you know, just as God was speaking to you, he also spoke to me. He said, I should bring you back. And the man, despite the direct instruction that God gave him, you know what he did? He obeyed the prophet. And the Bible says, But he lied to him. Let me say it again. Prophets lie. Men of God lie. Even if it's Pastor Bangi that said it, maybe he's lying. I'm not trying to say other men of God lie. 
it's only me and who came with it, I don't tell lies. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm saying a human being can lie to you. So please make sure that whatever it is, that's why we have to come with the Bible when we are preaching. That's why we give you references. You have to go home and find out whether those things are so. That's the point I'm trying to make. You have to find out whether those things are so. If they are not so, please don't believe them. The Bible says, but he lied to him. But he lied to him. But he lied to him. A prophet can lie. The annoying part about the story was that, oh, listen to this. A man is anointed should not sway you away from the truth. The same man that lied still prophesied correctly. Because as he brought the man back to his house, they sat down there and they began to eat. And while they were eating, suddenly the true spirit of God came upon the formerly lying man of God. And he began to prophesy. Listen to the point. He said, because you have disobeyed the Lord your God. The man who lied. Let's read it. Or let me just read it to you. First Kings chapter 13. In verse 18, he said to him, I, am, I also am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he obeyed and he went back. And while they were eating, look at what happened. The Bible says, Now it came about as they were eating at the table, that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. The one who lied to him. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the command of the Lord, and have not obeyed the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but have returned and eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water, your body shall not come to the grave of your fathers. You can read the next verses. A young lion met him on the road and killed him. Till today I have not recovered from reading this scripture. I keep on wondering, say, God, please, why are you doing this? Where were you when he was saying, you said, you didn't strike him dead? The young man respected the old man. That's why, in my life, listen, when I was doing my NYC, one night I had a strange dream. I don't dream, I, I dream a lot. You know, when I say I don't dream of, I don't dream often. I dream a lot. The other day I, I dreamt of, I was dreaming one dream the whole night, only to wake up in the morning. I told my wife, do you know what I was dreaming? She tried to guess. I said, you can't guess. Is that movie we watched yesterday? <laughs> I said, I, I, I watched the movie again throughout the night. <laughs> I just, I said, Vanky, I dream strange dreams. I'm one of those that I just, I dream. I, I, it can be raining like this. I'll just start dreaming that. I traveled to Mars, and they said there's no water on Mars. The rain started falling. Is it rain on my roof that entered into my dream? I used to dream strange dreams like that. If it's even better now, those days as a young person. But as I grew older, the dreams calmed down. Maybe I had more things to use my brain for. You understand? But anyway, but this particular night I dreamt. And as soon as I woke up in the morning, and that was not a, I knew it was not a normal dream. It was not a dream I formed. So it stayed on my mind, and I think that's why the Lord gave me that dream. Now, one of the main dream itself played out over the next eight years thereabout, okay? And I needed to have it to have 
sanity. When I for that dream, I would have been confused about life. But because, you know, the Bible says that Moses turns to look. Because Moses turned to look, then God began to speak to him. He said to Nebuchadnezzar, your mind turns to what will happen in the future. So sometimes God begins to speak to you when you are tuned in a particular direction. Because of that dream, I spent the next day or so, a few days, meditating constantly. I was doing my NYC that time. I remember I was in Taraba State, in the military barrack in, then, you know, in, um, uh, in, in, in Gashaka, you know. That whole day, in my room, I'm praying, I'm meditating. As I'm walking on the road, I'm thinking, I don't know how long that lasted. At the end of the meditation period, I sat down and wrote a number of instructions down. I kept the paper for a very long time. I've lost the paper now, but I remember the instructions in my mind. They were not direct interpretations of the dream, but they were the result of constant meditation because of that dream for some time. You understand? Now, the dream itself played out correctly over the next few years. But one of the things I learned that time is the way I run ministry today. I wrote it down like an instruction. And the Lord gave me clearly, this ministry I've given you to do, you are not to subject it to anybody. Now, I was very young. I didn't know what it meant. But I wrote it down. It was only afterwards I began to observe ministry. I saw how people were throwing away their ministry to gain branches. I saw people throwing away their calling to serve other people. Why? Because, you see, I've seen all kinds of things. People are threatened concerning their position because of doctrine. The man above knows what he wants you to say. Deep inside his heart, he knows the truth, but he has closed that one. The young man is learning the truth. And he has no structure. If you fire him, he doesn't have a church, he's going to pass. A young man came to me here the other day. Remember, you were the one that brought him to me. He's been in a structure for years, about to enter into the establishment. And he said to me, I can't. If I continue, I know I'm disobeying God. I have to walk out. So, what, so what, what, what have you come to ask me? He said, this is all I have done for the last is it eight years of my life. What will happen to me when I leave? I stood at that and I told him, let me give you, I don't know what will happen to you, but I have an answer for you. Jesus said, don't worry about it. Don't give it a second thought. Just pack your bag and go. What will happen, I don't have any idea. See, let me tell you something about serving God. That's the way he likes it. He doesn't like to give assurances more than his word. More than his faithfulness. That is, no, I am with you always. That's what he'll say. Lo, I am with you always. I want you to know that. I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But I won't guarantee you anything more than that. If you will not accept that, then you can't be my disciple. He thanked me very well that day, and he left. You have been threatened. A lot of people are afraid, because sometimes the house they are staying in is mission. The car is mission car. That, if you listen to me, you know I said something earlier, I want to say it again. This is the word of the Spirit for you. You have only a short period. You see, I've told serving Christ Jesus is one of the most dangerous things on this earth, except that it's not dangerous. What I mean is that if you are to look at it naturally speaking, it's scary. The only thing he says is, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never forsake you. I will always be there. People get bound up. So they don't speak the truth anymore. And listen to me, it is because of people like you that the world is suffering today. 
people who feel that they can compromise telling the truth because of the structural security somebody has prepared for them. That day, I, no, when the Lord gave me that instruction, when the Holy Spirit told me those and those that I did not know, things like this happened. It was later on I began to see it. People gave me all kinds of ideas of how to do ministry. They didn't know that I had an instruction like a young prophet. The Lord made it clear to me that, listen, what I have just done is put the, the teaching of the word in your mouth. Just that's all you need. You don't need any strong. You don't need anything. That's why when I began ministry, all I just did was write on paper. If you, in those days, when we first came to Enugu, I went and bought a cheap microphone from Ogwete Market. I will be teaching my wife and I'll be recording it. <laughs> I still have that tape. I think it's still somewhere. Embarrassment. I've not listened to it once because I knew the tape must be bad. <laughs> it's still somewhere. It's still somewhere. I sat down as I recording, teaching only my wife. When God gave us the opportunity, now, some people have different ways they did things. Some people say, the Lord said to me, go and do this. Listen, we went to go and start a, plan a program. The program was a, physically speaking, a major what? Flop. A disaster. Thank you very much. If you want to do a program, I just started. Let me just give you advice. This is not the word of God, just personal experience. Don't do three days program. <laughs> Do a 30-minute breakfast meeting so that you can really do it and go. And those who don't know, you can come and reach their 30 minutes of their lives <laughs> and give it to you. I went and planned three days major teaching program. I don't know what I was thinking. Who did I think I was? <laughs> the last day, the whole of Enugu gathered and said, nobody should go. <laughs> if you know what I mean. That last day, it was just three of us my, my wife, myself, and a very faithful friend who came in late because he was not in town. He arrived home, dropped his wife, and said, Banky is preaching. Let me go there. He was the only person that came apart from my family members. When I say my family members, I mean my wife and me. <laughs> that day were just three. The last day. After that, we realized that we can't continue like this. Pain, pain. <laughs> Let me not give you more stories. It was a bad experience. Some of those things I said that, say forgive. I said forgive who? <laughs> the owner of that hotel that we rented. If I see that woman today, if I can recognize her, I will say, the Lord pay you back according to your works. <laughs> Lord, I'm just joking. <laughs> ah, the woman did a strong thing. But let me not bore you with details. After we realized that, man, this won't work like this. That's why we went to look for a space and to start preaching. Just a small space. No light in the building, Nothing. I just wanted a space where I could invite people. But most importantly, every message we have preached from the beginning. Now listen, I'm telling you, I'm talking about 2003. This is 2020. Every single message we have preached in that place from the beginning till now, minus two or three. We were meeting initially once a week. It became twice a week. We don't meet in December. Calculate that for 17 years. Almost every single message, not almost, every single message minus two or three, I can give to you now. I have them. I'm not exaggerating. Why did I say two or three? I remember one, that as soon as we finished recording, the laptop we used to record crashed. That's the one I remember. As I was saying two or three, I can't remember two or three. I remember only one. But I just assume that maybe along the line, something has happened somewhere. 
but I can't remember one that was not recorded and you can't find today. I can't remember one, apart from the one I told you. And that day, I still remember, one man of God, Kola Iwosho, came to town. I was in a hurry to finish my message so I could go and join the program where he came to preach. As long as I finished preaching, I did for us to just save the thing on the laptop. It just, the, the screen just turned blue. You know, this blue screen of Windows. Dumping this to prevent. I just said, guys, pack up. I took my keys. My wife and I ran downstairs, entered the vehicle, and disappeared to go and listen to somebody else preach. That is the only message since 2003 we don't have archived. Why? Because when we started, that's all we came out to do. That was all we came out to do. To preach the word and broadcast it. So I owed it to the ministry. Now I'm trying to bring out something here. At the beginning, that's also... Look, there have been all kinds of... I don't want to call them temptations. Invitations better like this because I don't have any... I have not been... I won't lie to you. I have not been tempted once to change direction. Not one time. I will say invitations. I don't want to call them temptations. The only thing that I've tried to do once in a while, which the Lord didn't approve of, is change the pattern, the way the meeting goes. There was a time I wanted to cancel it from being weekly, turn it to monthly, and just do my three days at a stretch, then close it, come back, do three days. The Holy Spirit didn't bless that, so we had to go back to this pattern. This was what we followed from the beginning. And now, what I'm telling you this is that, at the beginning, I just realized the Holy Spirit said to me clearly, you have not gone there to go and be popular. You are not going to go and become Papa, you know, everybody, you are passing through, everybody is bowing for you. People have suggested different ways to do this thing. I said, no, from the beginning, the Lord gave some things clear. There was a church I tried to join once. I did not know, I was just trying to be a good uh, young Christian. The day I sat down to join them, I guess it's a couple of angels, they entered the church and decided, um, we are bonding this guy out of this place. As I sat down, Anytime I remember the story, I said there were two angels. I didn't see anybody. But I knew they came to bundle me out. They were just there. One just took, I think it's a nylon bag, spiritually, I covered my face. I couldn't breathe. Physically, I could breathe. But I was unsettled like a man who was choking. I sat. I was there. And they were, the service was going on. Were it not that I sat near the front, I would have left. I was a big church. I struggled for breath, except that physically when I do like this, I inhale, I literally put my hand over my nose. Listen, I'm a doctor. I hope I get my point. So I know those who can't breathe. My lungs appeared clear. I checked my breath. Air was going in and out. When I finished that, I settled down. It appears I'm choking again. I see somebody just draped my face with nylon bag. I struggled. As soon as the service was over, I ran away. I ran out of that church building. Once I came out of the threshold of the church, my whole experience cleared. I became free, and I turned and looked at the building. It was as if I heard, don't let me see you here again. And I never, <laughs> did I need to tell you? I never went back again. And listen to me. People, see, the Bible says an adulteress will hunt precious lives. People's lives are precious. I'm going somewhere. And their lives are being haunted every day. And if you are a young minister, listen to me, I have a message for you today. Your life is being haunted. People who are trying to expand and build kingdoms need, need talented. Can I borrow the word talented? Okay, let me use the proper word. Anointed people like you. 
and they will offer you things and threaten you somewhere along the line. Listen, if you want to follow the Lord, just know that you can die in quotes now. When I say die now, that poverty is the least of your problems. So if somebody is threatening you with poverty, just manage it now. The point I'm making to you, let me say what I said earlier. I just feel like I should say it again. The Holy Spirit wants me to say it again. Young man, young woman, you don't have a long time. You only have a short period of time to get out from under the influence that's covering your ability to obey God. You are disobeying him, you are disobeying God and obeying a human being. God said, I can't take that for a long time, especially when you know. He said, Well, how do I know? Eh? Your message is now. You have two, three scriptures to disagree with what you yourself are saying. You finish preaching the message, you know the Bible is against it. But somebody is watching you, planning to report to headquarters what you are preaching. And you look at the fellow's face. Listen, it is the Lord that's checking where your heart really is. Let me tell you how people like you should behave. That car that you were given, drop it. Pack out of the apartment and not tell anybody. Move to a one-bedroom, self-concern where. Before you even tell anybody you are leaving. Leave the car. Don't use it for two weeks. Give it to your assistant who does not want to live as long as you are planning. I don't know whether you are getting my point. Use care for a few days. Use them, um, uh, uh, these hailing apps, use them for two weeks. Realize that you will not die. Buy a lot of beans and rice that you will eat for the first two weeks. Not more than that. Then leave. So, okay, I'm not doing it again. Let me give you another word. Don't accept any compromise. I'm saying that to some because they will give you all kinds of compromises. I'm giving you an instruction. Do not accept any compromise. Just go. To where? I don't know to. Just get up and go. And save your life. And deliver yourself. That is what I'm telling you today. You cannot continue. Let me tell you something about spirits. This world, spirits move. There's a balance of spirits in what we experience. Evil spirits need to pass into the earth. The spirit of God, you hear the Bible counts the spirit of God. You tell you these are the seven spirits of God. Seven, if you, you must understand, when you see the word seven like that, two things must be in mind. God is not just talking about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. When John saw seven, he was seeing the perfection of God's operations. I hope you're getting my point. So it was manifested to him as seven. That's one. So you know that seven means everything that God wants to do. Second thing you must be in mind, it means that they come in measures. That's why they counted them for you. What am I going to say? There's a particular measure of the flow of the Spirit that is to flow into the earth. It comes in packets. For those who do know physics, you, know, you, you get my point, you know? Like quantum packets. They come in packets. Now, that's the Spirit of God. Angels ride with them also. Evil spirits, demons, they plenty. Both the packets of the Holy Spirit and the demons, they need to ride to get into the earth. They don't just get into places free like, free like that, including the Spirit of God. So what God always looks for is people he will ride through. And any person who wants to ride through, evil spirits are looking for, can we use him? They entice him away. And any time the Holy Spirit cannot ride a channel he prepared, evil spirits ride it. So you see the Spirit of God went away from Saul. So an evil spirit 
replaced him. What am I trying to say? Any, listen to me. Anytime you disobey God and you obey man, what you are doing is that you are, you are yielding yourself as a channel for evil spirits to ride into the earth. So if you pastor a church, you'll see what will happen in that church as long as you continue. Adultery, fornication, stealing, cheating. Some of your members will be armed robbers. All kinds of evil works. Now listen to me. And you will be trying to preach the truth and correcting them. Sometimes, you know, there's something that Paul said. I did not come to you with the excellency of man's wisdom. That is, it was not my ability that to persuade that made you a Christian. He said it was a demonstration of the spirit and of power. That was what made you a Christian. Come on, let say. It is not how much you try to use accurate words, sermons you have prepared. When you stand, each time you stand, you are pouring a spirit into the air. I hope you're getting my point here. So if you disobey God, you are pouring a spirit of witchcraft into the air as you stand to minister. A spirit of disobedience. Because a disobedience is like a sin of what? Witchcraft. So anytime a minister comes, twists the word of God, disobeys the right order of the spirit, and starts saying things that God did not say, it is not just, even if the words appear accurate, what you are doing is that you are pouring a spirit of disobedience in the, into the air. Those who follow you and drink of your spirit can't obey God. Why? The fellow pouring the spirit of, to them, you know what he's doing? He's releasing a spirit of disobedience. That's why as a parent, as an example, you must obey God. For your children to be able to obey God and to obey you. If you are not obeying God, you come into the home, no matter how much you flog the child, you are pouring a spirit of witchcraft, the spirit of disobedience into them. Even though you think, I, I taught them everything. It's your obedience to God that is the main thing that allows the spirit of obedience to flow into those children. If you're the pastor of a church, the same thing. People sit down, and people think that it's just words. It's not just words, though. Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are what? The spirit and what? Life. What does he mean? He said, anytime I speak, it's not the letters. It's not the A, B, C, D you are hearing. It's not the thou shalt not know. There is a spirit I'm communicating. There is something that rises upon my words into the hearts of the people. That's why you hear them say that, did our hearts not born? They don't even know he was talking. But the Holy Spirit was riding on the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was igniting them. They were catching fire. Zeal was coming into their lives. They didn't know why. Then when they realized it was Jesus, they said, ah, no wonder our hearts were burning. That as he was speaking, quoting scriptures, they were catching fire. When I said one of our brothers to go and see somebody, I just said, please, let me deliver this message to this man of God. So when he finished, he said, sir, it is done. He said, that man, he said, I spent 15 minutes with him. He set my heart on fire. Which word do you want to speak in 15 minutes? Is that when the man, because of the anointing upon him, spoke with him, joked with him, the man left there determined to obey God. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. So if you are pastoring a church, no matter how nice you are, if you are disobeying God and obeying man, you are not blessing your congregation. 
you are not blessing your congregation. You have a wrong spirit. You have a spirit of disobedience. I need to say one more time. You don't have a long time. You don't have a long time. You have a short time. From the time, not from the time you hear this, or from before. So some of you are hearing this now, you have one week. Some of you are hearing this one, you have two days. Some are hearing they have six months before God says it is enough. Because some of you are hearing this, almost the very words I'm using right now. You heard them alone in your bedroom six weeks ago. You heard them alone as you were strolling six months ago. You heard a man preach and it was as if he was talking to you three weeks ago. I have come to confirm that the time started counting that time. For some of you, this lockdown was your deliverance because you have not been able to lie. (laughs) For the last six weeks, you have not been able to lie. So once once meeting starts again, your line starts, you know, your cup, your cup is about to run over. For some people, your own is an emergency. It's an emergency. There are people listening to me that today is what, Tuesday? Next Sunday, they will not preach. They say, I'm not preaching. I'm not preaching. I'm traveling. I'm going to hospital. Admit me. <laughs> you go and meet doctor. Doctor. Doctor, what is wrong? Doctor, doctor, I don't know what's doing me. It looks like I want to die. Just put me somewhere. Then call a guy that I'm in hospital. You're not in church. I'm in hospital. Doctor, put drip. Otherwise, I don't go pay. <laughs> that is next on. That, listen, for some people, it's an emergency. You have lied enough. And listen, you say, sir, I have not lied. No, you have. Even though the words you have spoken have been accurate, but the Spirit has always been, you did not say what you were supposed to say. You spoke what you knew would please somebody. I think you are the one I came with the word of God for today. Mostly. I began by saying, our doctrines must be accurate. Remember that. We have to strive for accuracy in our doctrine. We cannot just assume that we are free. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Methodist. I'm an Anglican. So that's one that makes me laugh. When I hear Christians say, the doctrine of our church, the doctrine of our church, as if that's supposed to make it final. I've had this question before. No, the stance of the church, I'm like, are you able to get that? Nobody's quoting scripture for me. You are ministers, you are telling me the stand of the church. What are you talking about? Your church built its stand on what? I am big enough for you to dig out the scriptures and show me that this is what we practice here. The word of God says not the stand of the church and I'm supposed to be humbled by it. What I'm saying to you, if you have been an Anglican for a long time, by now, every single Anglican doctrine that you are holding that is not in agreement with scripture, you should have dropped it. Don't hide. If you have been a Baptist, ask yourself, why do Anglicans believe A and Baptists believe B? What does the Bible say? What do the scriptures say about A and B? You come to a reconciliation of both. So when you see your fellow Baptists, you can tell them this is scripture. When you see your fellow, fellow uh, your brothers who are Anglican, say this is scripture. So which one are you? I am both a Baptist, an Anglican, a Presbyterian, a Methodist, a Catholic, a Pentecostal. I am just a Christian. I'm everything. I'm nothing. And if your bishop does not like it, let him sack you. David Pawson said, you know why he became David Pawson you know today? He attended a church and they practiced infant baptism. 
He said, after studying scriptures for a long time, he said, I can't continue. And he went to the, the bishop and said, I love everything here, but my conscience cannot let me say I'm baptizing infants who can't confess Jesus. So he resigned and left and became the David person that's 90 years old, turned 90, but last, sometime last month or two months ago. Still preaching the word of God. You cannot suppress the truth in unrighteousness because of what you want to gain. You are the reason why there's Boko Haram. You open the tab for coronavirus because you are suppressing the truth because of your security. As for those of you who lie for promotion, you know your own case is worse than that of an infidel. It's worse than that of an infidel. You want to be promoted, so you tell lies. That promotion, now it will kill you. You see, I paused before I said it. I want to be sure I said it correctly. <laughs> that promotion you want to get by lying, twisting the word of God. You know, I told you, it's a prophetic season we are in. I'm not here to make anybody feel happy. I will not woe to the man who says he shall be well when he will not be well. If you continue in rebellion, it shall not be well with you. That's what I'm trying to preach. As for those who are believing God for promotion to a bigger branch in the denomination they are pastoring in, just know you are not called to ministry. What did I say? You know, you're not called. I'm not saying you will pray. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that if that's what your problem is, you're not called. Your God is your belly. Your glory is your shame. You are bragging on things you'll be ashamed of. I began by saying that our doctrine must be accurate. We must strive for it. We must not settle down and take comfort in the covering of a name we call ourselves. Once you buy the name Pentecostal, anything they believe, I must believe. Once you buy the name Baptist, you hide yourself under there. You are afraid of being sacked. Let me give you the word of the Spirit of God. I will sack you myself. And your sack by my hand will be worse than when a human being sack you. That's how God does it. Though. I said, well, once we wanted to begin with Colossians chapter 2. I know it's Colossians something, yeah? Okay, chapter 2. Please take this message to young preachers. I'm talking to you today. I believe my word that I brought today is for you most importantly. But for the whole body of Christ, know that you must pursue accuracy of doctrine. How you like it is secondary to how he said it. What God says is more important than what we like. Look at what he said in Colossians chapter 2. Now, so that we'll just um, enjoy some reading, maybe let me back up to where I want is verse um, 18, but I just want to start from verse 8. Don't let anyone, I'm using the New Living Translation, do not let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by physical procedure. Christ performed the spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. 
And with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was yet not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the, the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holidays or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. So he says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they have, they have had visions about these things. Their mi- sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not yet connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Now, I want to reread that verse 18 which is the main reason why I read this. And I want to read it in New American Standard. It said, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels. Now, please listen to this. You will see what he was saying here. That verse 18 was sandwiched into a long list of inaccurate doctrines. I hope you're getting my point. That is, Paul was saying some things, explaining to them that people may want to judge you concerning food and drink, festivals, new moons, Sabbath day, and stuff, things that are just mere shadows. So these are real things that Jews used to practice. It was not just talking about Gentiles now. He says, so, do not let them keep defrauding you. Other things they talk about are these issues of self-abasement and worship of angels and stuff like that. Now, what was Paul saying to us here? You, you can be defrauded of your price by believing and practicing that which is wrong. I hope you're getting my point. No matter how sincere you think you are, if what you are practicing is wrong, you are losing something. Let me drop this because I'm watching my time. I want to close. If anything you are practicing is removing or is obscuring the visions of God from being clear in your life, they are just changing you of your reward. Let me give you an example. For a long time, Christians have been taught to pray like this. Just to give an example. If you want to pray, you go to God and tell him all the things that you have done for him. Like one man said, when I want to pray, I tell God, see that church building, my money is there. See that pastor's car, when they bought it, my money is there. See that church building, my money is there. That place we did a crusade, my money is there. That he will tell God all of those things so that God can bless him. Now listen to the word of God. If you are praying like that till now, you will get nothing from God. Nothing. I don't have time to discuss it in details. Let me just give it to you straight. Because every time you pray like that, you have reduced the visions of Christ Jesus in your life. How should you pray? This is how it works. The reason God, you know, I like the way the Red Prince says it. He said God's provisions are in his promises. Did you get that? That the provisions of God are in his promises. So if you wanted to come and pray, 
Instead of quoting, look at what I did because somebody tell you that you will get tenfold return, hundredfold return, which is obscuring the visions of God, which is in Christ Jesus. What should you do? Lord, you have said, the Lord is my shepherd. For that reason, I will not lack anything. I hope you're getting my point here. That provision is in Christ Jesus. That provision is in Christ Jesus. The young lions may lack and suffer hunger. He said, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. That is a promise that God made. We have been blessed with with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, so when I want to pray, I come to God on that basis. That is the reason why I say, in the name of Jesus. If I came to pray and I quoted the things I have done, that name of Jesus means nothing. I saw one, you know, just to see the way we use the name of Jesus anyhow. Somebody put a sign somewhere. If you pour refuse here, Ogun will fire you in Jesus' name. <laughs> it's a real sign somewhere. Did you hear that? That Ogun, the god of iron, the idol, will fire you in Jesus' name. Now, you see, the Jesus' name is such a, is, to us now, is a, it's like one woman we saw the other day. I saw the video. They say that government, I don't know whether someone said government wants to ban the production of Kain Kain. The woman said, Kain Kain is a good product. Government, I beg, let Kain Kain day for this world in Jesus' name. Did he? <laughs> that was how she stretched her hand. Say, government, please leave Kain Kain alone in Jesus' name. Now, we all be laughing, but you know that's how a lot of us use the name of Jesus. We don't know the meaning of it. We just use it to end every desire we have, every request, every prayer. So when we come praying in the power of our good works, we say in Jesus' name, it's like somebody saying, Ogun will kill you in Jesus' name. It's the same thing. What does in Jesus' name means, mean? What does it mean? It means that I've not come in the power of the good works which I have done. I've come only because of the grace and mercy which I have in Christ Jesus. So even though I've done good works, I don't quote them for the Lord. I just get on my knees. I say, ah, Jesus, Father in heaven, you are my Father. You love me. Jesus brought me to you. You love me. That's what Jesus said. And if you love me, I will not lack. You say, which Father will give a serpent to the child that is asking for fish or a scorpion? So I'm asking you for bread because you're a good Father. Give it to me in Jesus' name. Even if you don't put it in Jesus' name now. Every story you have told to that point is Jesus' name. Yeah, he very said to, to him, I've not come because of what I have done. I've come just because of what Jesus has done on my behalf. That's in Jesus' name. Now, let me summarize what I was saying. So if you pray in any other way because you held to a wrong doctrine, somebody is just changing you of your reward. I hope you're getting my point. And do you know the truth? The church have, I mean, the people of God, they've lost a lot of reward. Some have built churches, built branches, because somebody said that is how to prosper. I remember what the young woman told me once. She gave all the money she had until hunger almost destroyed her. I said, why did you do that? She said, they told us that is how to prosper. She lost her reward. I told her, I said, God's mercy has sent you to me now. And that is why you are here where I'm preaching, and I'm correcting that. What is the prophetic word I brought for the whole church today? Get your doctrines right. Get up and start studying the scriptures. Get up and start studying the word of God with a desire to know what God is saying to you. But more importantly, I have come today to give the word of God to the young ministers 
who are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness because of their own personal arrangements that they want to support and because they fear somebody who's above them. And for those who are doing it because of the people above them that they fear, they don't have a long time. It is time to get up and say, I must obey the word of God. Now listen to what I said, the word of God in my life. Remember what Peter and Co. said? He said, check for yourselves. Should we obey you and disobey God? And that's the challenge you have to throw down between yourself and your boss from today. Let's begin to pray. We need to pray. We need five minutes to just pray. Everybody begin to pray. Anytime the word of God is coming, especially to those that the Spirit is speaking to today. Once that word is coming, there's something that's been bubbling in your heart. To make important decisions, receive strength. Say, Lord, strength, strength to obey you, grace. First, obey God before him. Now, let me explain what that means to you. Say to God, this is what I will do. Now, you're not promising you're going out to do it. You are saying, this is what I confess that is right for me to do. Say it before him. Listen to me. He will pour the spirit into you and you will go out and do the right thing. So right now, begin to say before him, I will speak the truth in the name of Jesus. I ask for forgiveness for all the times I have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. For the time that I have suppressed the truth because of the fear of man. For the time I have suppressed the truth because of the fear of lack of money. For the time that I have suppressed the truth because of what I would gain personally. For the time that I have suppressed the truth because I was afraid to offend people. Human pillars. Pillars that God did not build. Pillars that God do not reckon with. Pillars that I thought were the ones supporting the structure. I supported the truth. Let me tell you, God is merciful. The Lord is merciful. Once you come to him like that, this is his word. He will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That is the word of God. If you will just confess your sins, only acknowledge your iniquity. That's what he said through Jeremiah. Only acknowledge your iniquity. Just say, Lord, I have done what is wrong. I have done what is wrong. He will forgive. He will forgive. But listen to me, you cannot stay there forever. You can't stay there for much longer. You need to get up and begin to obey God. You need to get up and begin to live the truth. You cannot mortgage your destiny. You cannot mortgage obedience to God because somebody is taking care of you materially. You can't. You can't. Remember what I said? Pray before God before you go outside. Don't just get up and go and determine to do something. Get down your knees before him and do it in his presence. Say, Lord, before you, I move away from here. Before you, Lord, with your power, I do what is right. I pre- Before you mount the pulpit next Sunday, mount it in God's presence and preach that message to him. And say, Lord, this message I preach to you today, I'm carrying it to your people on Sunday. Fill me with the spirit. People will try to obstruct you. All kinds of things will come, try to stop you from preaching the truth. But just know you are wearing down your chances if you don't obey the word of God. You are. But if you preach it before him, and say, Lord, carry me by your spirit. I'm telling you, he will take you and stand you by his own spirit. Like Ezekiel said, the spirit will enter into you and stand you on your feet. Oh, there are people that next Sunday, you will stand before that man to preach. Look above his head. Look above every other person. Just know that today I've lost my job, but I will preach this last message. Like, um, like um, what is his name? Um, Samson. Some say, today, I will push these pillars. I'm knocking them down. Let this structure come crumbling down. It's my last chance here. I know. But I will preach the word of God. You need to pray that prayer before the Lord.
Let's just give the Lord thanks for the word that he has sent to us today. Earlier we pray that the Lord will give us a word. And he has honored our prayers. He has answered our prayers. And let's indeed say, Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for correction. Thank you, Lord, for sending instructions to us. We bless your name forever. Thank you. Receive grace again to run with these words by your spirit.